I'm, I'm just not one that gives up. I'm, I'm one that is okay with plodding along slowly and getting momentum until it finally happens. And uh, praise the Lord, it finally did. The future of dentistry belongs to the innovators. Welcome to Innovation in Dentistry. I'm your host, Sean Zayas, and I believe that the future of dentistry is going to be unbelievably great over the next decade and two decades, but the question isn't that. The question is, are you going to be part of what makes dentistry great? Okay, today I am so excited to have the opportunity to interview Dr. William Moorhead. Um, so before I set you up, doctor, let me just say thank you so much for letting me interview you today. Certainly. Okay. So oh, I was going to say, so BJ, you know, innovation in dentistry, it can mean a lot of different things. It could be technological innovation we're talking about, or it could be clinical innovation, but before any of those innovations actually hit the marketplace, they first start in some individual that has some mindset or belief set. That's like, why, why not me? Why can't I step up and pioneer positive change? And you are one of those individuals that not only are you a dentist, and that is more than enough, um, but you just continue to step up and lead and pioneer positive change. So tell us a little bit about what it is that you're doing uh, right now. Right now, I am teaching an IV moderate sedation class to other dentists, and I am offering a product of the cloud-based software that gives dental offices checklists for running a dental office. Uh, a tremendous onboarding tool, tremendous tool for being able to standardize things and error-proof the practice. Okay, so that's a very entrepreneurial, um, I don't know, like solution, like the, the value that you're providing in doing that. Um, did you, like, when did you realize like, hey, I'm not just a dentist, um, I'm entrepreneurial and, and there's more value that I want to bring in the marketplace. If you look at the concept of checklists, uh, the, the book, a tool Gawande wrote back in the mid, uh, I think it was about 05, 07, uh, was the checklist manifesto. Uh, he's a surgeon, uh, U.S. born in the Northeast U.S. Uh, he was the head of the World Health Organization uh, back 15 years ago, and he applied the concept of aviation to medicine and absolutely revolutionized things. For instance, it used to be you would go into the hospital and you receive the standard bracelet identifying yourself, but that bracelet only happened if you were inpatient. Nowadays, outpatients receive that same thing. And like I went for my blood test a couple months ago for my annual physical, they put on a bracelet. That I go up to the lab, they ask me what my name is, my date of birth, they make sure it matches the bracelet and matches all their paper paperwork. That type of standard operating procedure approach keeps wires from being crossed, blood work from being uh, scrambled, and errors from being made. That could be life-threatening. So I got interested in this because I've done sedation since 2000 and I trained in IV sedation in 09. And within the first few months of doing the IV sedation, I had a patient in the office that I just met the week before. It was a Monday morning. I, I remember it like it was last week. Uh, and 
Uh, he had followed all the instructions. This guy was 70 years old. Uh, easy health history, nothing complicated. Uh, he had come in really in bad pain. His wife made him come in. Uh, but he said, Doc, you just got to help me. I, I can't deal with this anymore. And he had a mouthful of bad teeth. I think we had to remove six or eight teeth. But he had put it off for decades because he was so scared. Anyway, uh, we're taught with older adults to go low and go slow. Go low with the doses slowly because the typical thing that we use most to sedate for moderate, moderate sedation in dentistry is midazolam, a brand name Versed. And it has a more profound effect on senior adults. So I gave him not two milligrams, but one milligram. I waited not one minute, but two. And I'm listening to the pulse oximeter. And I've done this with oral sedation for nine years before. I've done it with uh, IV sedation for four or five months. And I'm used to hearing the, the number, the beep, go down, beep, 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 showing that the breathing's going down. And reflex, I tip the head back, like you're taught in basic life support. And I reach for the oxygen, put a nasal hood on him. I turned it on and it didn't come on. And I, we were radios in the office. I radioed my uh, team and I said, and I wasn't nice about it. I said, somebody didn't turn on the oxygen, get it on now. And I, I swear it, it seemed like it had to be five minutes. It was probably 30, 45 seconds. And they come back on the radio and they say, doctor, all the tanks are empty. And oh, it was worse, all the emergency tanks were empty too. And I did what no one should do during an emergency. I panicked. I just lost my wits and all I did was lash out at my team. Worst possible reaction you could have. Uh, the hero of the day was my receptionist. She took me up in the hall and she looked me square in the eye and said, doctor, this is doing no good. You're lashing out. You know how to handle this. Get your act together. And it rattled the cage. And I, I hadn't even grabbed the bag mag mask valve to, uh, to resuscitate the patient, but uh, we got that. We got the uh, reversal agent. The patient was fine. No issues whatsoever. Was even able to do the appointment. But that was really a wake-up call. And uh, so I, I, I grew up with OCD parents. I uh, already had a mindset where checklists would work well. And I knew I had to do something different. And I told my team, the, the, we, we're, we're changing the whole way we do things. And that was the birth of, of, of the SOP concept in my office. I was, I was going to say, so you're talking about checklists, but beyond what someone might think of as a checklist as like a to-do list, you're really talking about uh, high-level systems and high-level processes. Like you said, the standards of procedures. You know, it, the irony here is that when I looked at DSOs and I was trying to figure out why is it that DSOs are emerging, and this was like 12 years ago, uh, in dentistry, at the same exact time when most corporate expressions in commerce were on the decline. You have Kmart on the decline. You have, um, you know, just different uh, big type stores on the decline and everything was moving toward bespoke offerings. You know, bespoke coffee shops were, were on the rise. And I'm like, why is it that in dentistry, instead of the, the general uh, independent practice being able to, to thrive, all of a sudden this corporate expression was able to show up. And I realized it was because of a lack of systems, a lack exactly. of processes where there could be competitive. So the big Fortune 500 guys were like, hey, A, dentistry is making tons of money. There's a lot of money to be had here. And B, 
dentists don't know how to manage their practice that well. So here right. we can slide in with a different competitive advantage. So you realize, wow, we need to level up the checklist. We need to level up the SOPs. But what uh, made uh, it so uh, that private dentists don't have to give up to the corporations, they can incorporate the same systems. Uh, so I created a cloud. The trouble with systems is it's typically this great big notebook that you're paging through things. And because it's cumbersome, you get it out only when you're first starting, but then you put it away. And if you need it, you have to dust it off and it doesn't keep current. So uh, I went a different approach. I uh, created software where we could do a cloud-based where it was easy, easily customizable, uh, a relational database where if you change something one place, the system recognizes it is 20 or 40 other places and offers to change it. So it builds on itself and finally made it easy. Okay. So BJ, this is where I have to stop you because you're a dentist. You're not someone that is trained to see where there could be a need and go, let me create software. <laughs> so, so well, I didn't write the software. I wrote the content. Okay. No, no, but still, so, so back up a little bit. Was this the first time that you, you read something and said, let me not only implement it in my practice, but create something where I can lead the industry in? Was it, was this the first time or is this something that I, over the last I, few decades you've done multiple times? I started out in my office thinking I was going to create something for my office. I started out with Excel with uh, check marks on how to set up for the basic procedure. And we had a Word document that was 100 pages long, maybe, that had every procedure that we do and what we get out with hyperlinks to where you could get at it. But uh, someone looked at it and said, you know, there's a better way to do that. And so uh, initially, we created an HTML website that was not customizable, but it was really easy to access. And, and then, then, then the ball started rolling and, and all the pieces started coming together. Now, at this time, again, this is outside of what I would say a dentist's core competencies are. Um, were you, I don't know, nervous that that you either invest time, resources, energy, and, and it wouldn't pan out? Uh, was it just becoming like a fun side hobby for you? Like, what, what are you going through as, as, like you said, the pieces are coming together? Were you excited knowing that this could be a business of its own? Uh, when it finally occurred, uh, but... but my internal inset initially was do it for ourselves uh, to help us error-proof the office and not have that potential calamity, plus have the advantage of being more efficient to where profits would rise and and, and naturally happen. Now, how long ago was this, like time-wise? Is this like five years ago? Is this 10 years ago? started in 2010. That event that I told you about was 09, and so uh, we started the Word and Excel thing uh, in 09, and then uh, went from there. Now, as, as a dentist, you said you've been practicing for quite a long time. Was the business side of dentistry um, initially, like in the first decade, a, a challenge for you? Always. I, th I don't think any dentist comes out of dental school where they know what they're doing with the business side. Uh, I have a father that is a retired banker that had let he, so there wasn't nepotism. He offered me a job when I was 15 uh, in the bank where he was president, but fine print. I had to work all summer as an intern with no salary to be able to get that job.
but I learned some basic principles there to where I felt comfortable with bookkeeping and that kind of stuff. When I started practice, it was before computers were in dental offices. And I started out, I had put that bank, a uh, small community bank, uh, on an off-premise system where some the work was sent uh, to a, a bureau and they processed the checks and created statements. So I started out doing the same thing in my office before there were computers. And then uh, five, six years later, when the first PCs were coming out, that's that's what I was doing. So it sounds like you are very much a self-learner. Like you said, you're reading this book and all of a sudden you see, wow, here's an example of uh, some, some model that revolutionized uh, an industry. And you're like, why, why not in my practice? Why not in dentistry? Now, is it, was this a common thing where- I, I, I Actually, I did it backwards. I started creating the checklists, had not ever read the checklist manifesto, which did it so much better. Had it way too complicated and unusable well, not as usable as it should be. And then read the checklist manifesto and, oh, that's it. And then went, went back and redid things. But, but I think that's actually brilliant. Um, I love that example because I always tell people like, it's almost better to launch and then learn than try to do all the prep work and try to be 99% prepared and then launch your thing because it's actually hard to learn in just the land of theory. Here we, you are. We, we hold ourselves back if we wait until we've got it perfect to be able to do it. So did you, like, when did you connect those dots? Has that just always been you? You just knew, hey, step out, learn, not a big deal, no fear around that? I won't say that because, well, let's take it back to childhood. Uh, I was playing piano at age six, but when my dad took me out to the yard and threw a softball to me to uh, let me try something or took me golfing for the first time. If I wasn't instantly good at those things, I gave up quickly. So there's no rhyme or reason. It just worked out, fortunately. But I think what I found is that people that typically, uh, like when it doesn't work out the first time, it's because there's a certain level of excellence they have in so many areas. I have a daughter like that. So that when there's an area where there's not immediate excellence, sometimes it's like, it's harder because you're already known for being great at other things. Like, were you great at piano or, or probably not? You had to start somewhere, right? I, I, I was great at piano. I, I, I could, I had a, a gentleman that I knew that was a professor at a university near here that uh, told someone that I could have been a concert pianist. That's one of the best compliments I've ever had in music. So, so BJ, do you feel like that musician, that artist that I'm good with my hands did that translate to clinically? I'm I'm good with my hands. Like, was there any tr translation there, or am I just reaching? No, no doubt about it. Uh, I am not ambidextrous, but I, I have some ability to be able to go back and forth. Uh, the musician side uh, gave the art side to where I liked. I liked both the science and the art of dentistry. Uh, so I was a natural fit. I I wanted to be a dentist when I was in middle school. Don't tell me how I wanted to. I just wanted to from that far back. I mean, I think that's crazy uncommon to have something that you want that stays the same year after year after year. So when you finally have the option to pursue a career, you're still like, yeah, de dentistry. Uh, do you remember some, you know, in the first five years, what some of those, um, I would say like less than obvious moments in dentistry where you're like, wow, I wasn't expecting dentistry to be like this. Do you remember any of those? When I started practice, interest rates were 
Um, and I started a scratch practice, which was is definitely unusual nowadays and was not that common back then as well. So I did about everything that you could do wrong. Uh, and I came, I told you, I, I have parents that are both, I had no chance. They are so OCD. I mean, when I was growing up, you could go in the basement of a house and eat off the floor. That's how OCD they were. Uh, and so while I fit in dentistry well, because there's so many analyticals uh, that are dentists, uh, I also went to dental school when everything was negative reinforcement and it held me back so badly because it, it took me decades to get past uh, and realize that it's not all about me. I've got these, these people around me that are working for me are important. And if I don't treat them right, they, they, I, they don't stay. And like I said, it helped, it held me back so badly. Uh, if I could give anything besides what I teach on the IV sedation side and the, and the SOP side to a dentist, it would be the ability to look at themselves inside and ask, are you happy with yourself? Are you treating the people around you right? Because you cannot succeed in a profession unless you have those skills. Even if you're not a people person, you got to care about the people around you. Now I can understand like growing up with such clear principles, expectations, um, cleanliness <laughs> that going into dentistry, you probably also had very rigid expectations of those around you. Um, was it something that you had to grow into where you're like, I, I just need to also know when to, to give grace to, to some extent? Um, to, to nurture those around me that maybe aren't at the same level of excellence. That's absolutely right. And it, it took me way too long. I'm, I'm thankful that God had patience with me. I'm also thankful that some loved ones around me had patience with me. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a lot of your team has had had uh, a lot of patience. Um, so what was like a, a mindset that you feel like you, needed to adopt. Now, since 2009, when all of a sudden the light bulb comes on and you're like, man, uh, this checklist idea could really change our practice from, from then till now, where again, this has been to market for a long time where people can, can utilize this. Um, what was the mindset you had to adopt in order to get to where you're at today? I didn't take the typical, uh, with the software stuff, I didn't take the typical entrepreneur, get investors kind of thing. I kept working on it. Uh, I started building it during the Great Recession. Uh, when I didn't have a patient in the chair, I would go uh, work on the SOPs. Um, and same thing even with, with COVID. The, the product was principally built, but I felt a, I had a, had a number of ways that we could be able to adapt and, and, and change and improve things. So I, I, I'm thankful that I use my time well. I don't sit around and uh, watch TV a whole lot. I find things to be able to be productive. Was there a time as you're bringing this to market and launching that you just kind of like, I don't know, question whether it was ever going to work? Like, you know, I don't want to say like a dark night of the soul. It doesn't have to be that bad, but just something where you're like, I, I don't think this is going to work. Was there ever a moment where things look kind of dark or bleak? Yes. And I'm, I'm just not one that gives up. I'm, I'm one that is okay with plodding along slowly and getting momentum until it finally happens. And, um, praise the Lord. It finally did. 
because I think uh, there's so many, I think there's so many listeners, BJ, that that's the reason why they don't start something is, is, is there's, there's just that, what if it doesn't work or, or what if I look foolish to other people because I'm trying something publicly and but what it if doesn't it does, come. But, but what if it does work? If you, if you don't give it a chance, you never know. Well, there you go. That's, that's yeah. a mindset that yeah. that's gold. What uh, if when, it does? I love that. Yeah. When I teach IV sedation, I, I'm, I'm a partner with a, another dentist. Uh, we created a company to teach moderate IV sedation. We're based in Kentucky, but I had created all of these systems on how to be able to do moderate sedation safely. And one of the compliments that we get is you finally, you've made it really practical. So we teach the science side that you have to, but since we're not, neither of us are in academics, we're able to uh, help those dentists that learn under us a very practical approach to where it can be easy to put together and follow the things that I've already pre-built to where you don't have to reinvent the wheel. I mean, that that's amazing. So when did you become an educator? Because I'm guessing you were clinical dentist for some time, and then all of a sudden you realized, wow, I have the ability to educate, teach, and lead. When did that happen? Uh, the last 10 years that I've been speaking, uh, when I was president of the State Dental Association, I enjoyed uh, being able to uh, speak to my state dental association and, and motivate and get things done. And uh, that's when the speaker bug kind of uh, bit me and then uh, went from there. I can't put my, my finger on you because I didn't know you were the president before of, was that the state association in Kentucky? State association. That's been about a decade ago. That was, uh, okay. that was an awesome year. A lot of work, but an awesome year. So, so even that, I'm just saying like, as you're evaluating things, you're plugging along. When did that become on your radar that that's something that you could possibly if, do? If, if you would have told me uh, 25 years ago that I would ever aspire to do any of that stuff, I would have laughed you out of the room. Um, but uh, I, I'm thankful that the, the doors opened at the right time and that uh, I was ready to walk through them. Well, you seem very ready to walk through doors. That's something I'm picking up because it seems like a lot of, it seems like the opportunities that present themselves, you aren't afraid to, to explore. Well, if it doesn't and, involve sports. <laughs> so a non-athletic endeavor, is that correct? That would be accurate. And you've stayed in the industry in dental, right? Yes. Yes. Love it. So do you, and again, I could be wrong. Have you already published a book? No, I'm, that's one thing that so far I haven't uh, really embraced. I, I've written some articles, but it's not something that, that uh, makes me feel terribly fulfilled. Uh, I do, like when we put the IV sedation class together, uh, it requires 60 hours of didactic training to teach a moderate IV sedation class. And uh, I have the, we put together 32 hours that we do on Zoom, we do two uh, weekends where there's a total of four eight-hour days that we present before we bring the class together uh, in Louisville to do live stuff. And uh, I, I really enjoyed getting all those PowerPoints together and, and looking at all the journal articles that I could, all the things that I had been taught when I did IV sedation uh, and being able to coalesce that stuff. That was fine. But sitting down to write a book or even an article is cumbersome for me. Maybe I, maybe I need a ghostwriter. You know, that's not a bad idea because there's definitely, 
a book, at least maybe even two books in you from everything that you're saying, just even your, your journey, I feel like is so unorthodox. Now, from your perspective as an educator and as a consultant, what do you feel like is some of the mindsets you see that limit the, the students that you have that are coming along that maybe, you know, they're just not as experienced. Like, are there any common um, mindsets that you see that are holding them back? I'll answer the question two ways. Uh, for the dentists that, that enroll in our IV classes, uh, where they're going, they're putting out the funds to be able to do a, an advanced training like that. They've already stepped up. They are already upper tier top 5% uh, that want to make their practice really go because IV sedation is uh, probably the most valuable way that you can increase your practice. On the flip side, to get dentists to use standard operating procedures, the checklist approach is much harder because we have in mind in dentistry that, well, we've got it all up here, so why do we need to bother with those, those checklists? But the dentists don't realize that the people that we hire are often high school graduates, uh, some college, uh, not too many that have college degrees, but we expect them to think on a doctoral level, but we don't want to give them the resources to do that. Uh, by being able to use the, the checklist standard operating procedure approach, you can be able to simplify it so much that it becomes practical for someone that doesn't have that advanced degree to be able to think at an advanced degree state. For instance, one of the things that I have in my dental software, uh, are in when we're seeing a new patient nowadays, medical histories have gotten really complex. It's not unusual to have patients come in uh, several times a week that have 10, 15 medicines, polypharmacy, uh, all kinds of medical things going on. And what typically happens is the dental assistant seats the patient, emergency visit, comprehensive exam, we, they seat the patient, they take a blood pressure, they go through the list of yes, no's that the patient's marked on their medical history and write down the medications that the patient takes. Then the dentist comes in and for a typical situation, is gonna spend two or three minutes going through that and, and putting the pieces together. But it can be six, eight minutes or worse. Uh, I have some patients that come in from the VA that it can take 15 minutes to decipher it all. So I took the questions that all dentists know up here that we're going to ask when a patient has diabetes, when they have high blood pressure, et cetera, and I wrote them down. And then the dental assistant, the hygienist, can ask those questions, put that information in the practice management system, and voila, all of it's done before the dentist comes in. So it's the same amount of time, but it's, it's the ability to be able to delegate. And my team feels empowered they, they they really feel good that they can be able to do that kind of stuff okay so just to clarify so the checklist system of yours that is a software it's the software is one and the same with the checklist it's not like you could receive a training on this checklist way of of uh processes without using the software they're one no, and the same, that, right? no that's that's not right you can't if a doctor is motivated and wants to do it on them their own uh, I can teach them how to do that. When I uh, pre do presentations at state dental meetings, uh, 
study clubs, whatever, uh, I show both ways. And I'm very careful in a dental association type of setting not to make a commercial. So I show them exactly what steps you've got to go through to do a checklist. And then I say, if you don't want to do it, um, uh, shoot me an email and let me show you another way. Okay. Okay. So, so the software can just help elevate, um, using this, it's just going to make it so much simpler to implement in your but, practice. Because most dentists are not going to take the time. They don't have the time. They don't want to take the time to be able to build it from the ground up, but you can do it either way. It okay. So if I'm, a, if I'm a dentist and I'm hearing this right now, I'm thinking, okay, but BJ, like you, you must understand, I go to lots of conferences, I learn lots of different things, and I go back to my practice and I try to implement them, and I But doctor, still... how often do you implement that? That's the trouble. Most of us, if you don't implement promptly, you forget about it and it never happens. So is that the primary thing? Is it just promptly? Like, what did, what have you learned and how you can implement change in your practice? Because it sounds like you have a lot of leadership techniques that maybe, maybe you just take it for granted and don't realize what you've learned. Um, but enacting change in an office is a challenge. And it seems like that's something you're really good at, BJ. Uh, I'm thankful that I'm good at it, but I had plenty of time to learn because I goofed it up plenty of times before that. So, so I'm just saying, so one of the main things, if I'm hearing this, what would you say would be either a hurdle I could expect when trying to implement this in my practice? Um, like, like what are some of the common struggles that practices have as they're trying to raise, you know, or get compliance with their whole team to follow this process? The team has to see that there's something in it for them, because if they have likewise always been doing it the same way and they feel like they're doing it okay because they've never done it any other way, then there's always that resistance to change. Uh, so if you give them some incentive to be able to change, whether it's monetary, uh, praise is a big one, because if you can be able to catch your team member doing something right and praise them, it, it, it's huge. Uh, I like the carrot approach much better than the stick approach. Uh, being able, being, taking an approach of punishing someone for not doing it is not productive. Uh, so catch them doing something right. Uh, with the, the beauty of the checklist approach is that when the, let's say, for instance, this is, I've written them for both the business office side, which the DSOs have done an excellent job as well. Uh, and I've written them for the clinical side. Uh, but like when a dental office, uh, you go in an office and there's an office that I have in Fresno, California that uses my software. And when I went into their office, uh, to interview them and get testimonials, the dental assistant said, I've got four doctors and each of them do everything different. But every time we use the SOPs, we're ready every time and it makes us look good. Now that's incentive, but you got to start, you got to start, you got to be willing to, to start with the change first and, and see a little bit past, but we've always done it that way. I, I think that's great. That you even said it that way, because I feel like so many dentists want to differentiate and they want to be different, but then they end up just doing what every other practice is doing. And I'm not talking about uh, systems. I'm just talking about like marketing, um, ways in which they could stand out. And it's like, well, it's, it's challenging. It takes courage to try something new or it takes courage to really uh, pioneer. And that seems like something that you just have 
built in because there's, I would say it's so uncommon, BJ, for dentists to even get the open doors that you have and, and walk through them with the confidence that you have with the, I don't know, almost like, I don't want to say certainty because there is no certainty, but you've done such a great job of actually like getting things off the ground that work, whether that's your consulting company or whether it's the software. And I just want to commend you for that. Like I know the struggle when it comes to creating change, when it comes to creating um, a company and, and a software solution, just managing all those pieces. Um, I know perhaps that there's perhaps it's just stubbornness uh, of not being willing to give up. I think resilience and grit is really? probably a huge part of it, but also there's just so much uncertainty whenever you start an endeavor and it doesn't seem like you entertain that a lot. It doesn't seem like you meditate on or focus on what could go wrong or what if this fails, it seems like you almost have the blinders on and you're like, it's going to work. And I'm just going to keep at it until it works. After a divorce 11 years ago and a really bad depression for a year because didn't want it and didn't expect it, I stopped reading, uh, I stopped watching TV news. Uh, if I, I keep up with current events, but I read them. Uh, I started reading positive books uh, to uplift me and my whole mindset changed. Uh, I'm not thankful that that divorce happened, uh, but I'm thankful that I was able to learn and change from what happened with it. BJ, that, that's amazing because I always talk about how bad things happen, like traumas, tragedies sure. that, that we don't want. And in the midst of those, if we really like search deep, you can find gold that can really help transform your life and bring it so it goes from a tragedy to a triumph. And divorce is terrible. You know, it, it just, it's like a bomb that goes off and it's really hard to pick back up the pieces and a lot of people end up having that be a reason why they can't attain the life that they want. Anymore. But, whether, but whether it's divorce or it's uh, lose a loved one to death or uh, some other tragic event, we all have things that don't go right. Uh, and if you can take take the bad things and, and find something good from them, it, it, it always works out. That's what maturity means. Uh, and fortunately, most of us do mature. And uh, doctors that are that are watching this, you wouldn't have graduated dental school unless you already were excelling. You have it in you, and if you haven't already uh, allowed it to express itself, uh, it's going to happen. Just open the door. I I love that because that's exactly my message. Is that I think dentistry. I know it's going to be great, PJ, in the next ten years. My whole challenge to everyone listening is: Are they going to be part of what makes it great, or are they just going to be on the sideline and watch as other people step up? as other people innovate, as other people come up with software solutions that make a difference in dentistry like you have, as other people end up educating. And I'm not saying everyone can create a software or that everyone should educate, but people can hear between the lines of what we're saying, what it is in the back of their head that they keep putting on the back burner or they keep making excuses for. And it's like, just, just stop. Like, this is your time. You can do it. Um, I'm super curious about your perspective on the next like five years in dentistry. Like do, what, what, in what ways do you feel, um, I don't know, e either different forces are going to shape the future of dentistry. I'm just curious because 
I feel like you have a, probably a pretty good pulse on, on what's happening. I think artificial intelligence is going to be big uh, as long as we don't get lazy and get dependent on it uh, because it's a tool that will help give us information more quickly, but we can't just automatically, I mean, software, any software has bugs in it. I mean, uh, back in the 1960s, when they promised what computers were going to do and going to make us so much more productive. And what wound up happening is of all the productivity we gained out of it, we wound up putting just as much effort into keeping up with the bugs and the uh, spam and the uh, dishonest stuff that, that goes on uh, to be able to keep up the viruses and, and the like, just to be able to keep things running. Uh, artificial intelligence may have the same issues. We'll see, uh, but it's got some some exciting uh, promise there. Uh, likewise, to do just with uh, the private side of dentistry versus the DSO side, um, I keep hearing from any dentist that works for a DSO, I want my own practice. The ADA predicts that 20 years from now, 60% our practice will, practices will still be private practice. And so if, if there's the dream in you, young dentist, don't give up on it. Uh, there, there's so much there for all of us. Okay, so if I am a young dentist right now, I'm thinking, okay, this guy started his own scratch practice. He's literally just like learned through trying uh, in so many different areas, like I would love for you to be a mentor, to be a coach, to be a consultant. How do people get a hold of you? Where do you want them to go? Um, you can find me. Uh, software business is streamdent.com, uh, like streamlined dentistry, streamdent.com. Uh, my email is dr.m at streamdent.com. Uh, if you want to really make your practice excel and do the IV sedation thing, there are a number of great programs in the country. Uh, we offer a $1,000 discount for AGD members. Uh, and where we're a newer program, we don't have the long waiting list that most groups do. That's IV sedation training for dentists.com. Okay. So BJ, here it is. Uh, here's the last question. So you're walking down the street and you see 18 year old BJ in the distance oh, wow. and you have a moment to just communicate one sentiment with him. What do you share? Do everything that you can to overcome the negativity, see the positivity and the potential in everyone. Okay. I absolutely love that. I feel like that's the perfect like bow to this gift that you've given to all of our listeners. You know, true learning really doesn't take place in the boardroom or in the land of theory. It just takes place when you're out there and you're not afraid to just move forward and try things. And that is my encouragement to all the listeners. BJ, it has been such an honor and so easy to just honor you as an innovator, as someone that is pioneering positive change in dentistry. I really, I love what you're doing. Um, and I love that you have such an approach of just kind of uh, fearlessness. Like you don't, you don't make the uncertainty um, become something that that's daunting or that, that intimidates you. You find a way to just focus on the benefit of what, what could happen and what will happen if you stay at it. Uh, I think it's such a great mindset that I even need to embrace in a greater way. So thank you for inspiring me 
And just thank you for letting me interview you today. John, thank you. And thank you for what you're doing, because this is a tremendous gift to dentistry and a, a tremendous inspiration. So keep it up. Thank you, BJ. Thanks for listening. And be sure to follow so you never miss an episode. To learn more about what's going on in dentistry, check out innovationindentistry.com.